Don't miss out on the latest news and events in your community. Visit StarLocalMedia.com today. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed on all the latest stories affecting your neighborhood. And if you're a local business owner, let us help you reach your target audience with our effective advertising solutions. Visit StarLocalMedia.com and take the first step towards staying connected to your community. Today's episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast is brought to you by Baylor Scott & White Sports Performance Center, Athletes Made Here. The Sports Performance Center was developed with one goal in mind, to maximize human performance through movement and recovery. Their team of expert performance sports coaches and trainers will guide you to achieve your performance goals. That's the Baylor Scott & White Sports Performance Center, located at the Star in Frisco. This episode is also brought to you by Allen Dental Studio, located off Bethany drive in Allen. Their office was designed with you, the patient, in mind, which means an excellent and enjoyable experience. From cosmetics to implants, you deserve a perfect smile, and Allen Dental Studio can make that happen. Also, don't want to leave out another longtime friend of the podcast, Texan Senior Residential Care Homes. With locations in Carrollton and Dallas, Texan Senior Residential Care Homes offers an affordable, high-quality alternative to senior living. Call now at 469-400-7650. That's Texen, spelled T-E-X-S-E-N, Texen Senior Residential Care Homes. Welcome to another episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Welch, being joined by Brian Murphy and Devin Hassan. Uh, gentlemen, it is Monday. It is a busy Monday because a bit of an abbreviated week here at Star Local Media with our Thanksgiving deadlines. We're really only working, you know, Monday through uh, through Wednesday. And of course, we got our coverage at the uh, at the tail end of the week. So this is going to kind of be more of a uh, a second round recap, third round preview sort of podcast. Try to blend some elements of the two because, boys, uh, what a second round it was. You know, I know that uh, you know we can uh, you know kind of be prisoners of the moment and whatnot and you know when you cover high school sports for as long as we have a lot of these years kind of run together I'm just trying to think of the last time there was a second round that was just as wheels off as what we just had on Friday and Saturday I mean so many talking points from that area round of the playoffs so I just want to ask you guys like straight up like when you guys were looking through the scores and whatnot and when you saw stuff on Twitter what was the most shocking thing that happened in the second round be it in our, in our coverage area or not the obvious one is Obviously, Rockwall Allen, but I mean, was that really that shocking? It's more, of, I think, more shocking the way it ended, mm. going for two to win the game. Coach Webb wasn't playing around; he didn't <laughs> want to go to overtime with Allen. I, I think anybody who has talked to Rodney Webb or certainly covered mm. one of his teams over the years, like I had the, the opportunity to do when he was at Horn, knew he was going for that. Yeah. No question about it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, I mean, and, and not just the fact they went for it, but the play they dialed up. Oh yeah, because it, was it wasn't so- like far from a, a cleanly executed Jackson play. Jackson Smith and Jigba wasn't even on the field. No, he was—he was supposed to be the one that got to yeah. make the throw. Yeah. And so he rolls a guy who probably—I mean, if you had a guess, I mean, I'm sure he's practiced it. But you, yeah. you speak about second team reps. How many times has that kid actually run that play compared to the way they you know, the normal personnel? Mm-hmm. And for them to—and uh, it wasn't pretty, like you say. But um, it was a yeah. So it was um, it was basically like an end around to Caden Marshall who then you know goes back and he throws it to and this was I mean you look at the play and the, first off like, I forget who the defender was from Allen that converged on Caden Marshall but almost gets to him almost sacks him there on the spot he gets rid of the ball ball hardly comes out clean it was hardly a crisp spiral mm-hmm. but it finds its way into the corner of the end zone JJ Williams just wins a one-on-one battle with him, one of the Allen defensive backs 
And uh, yeah, that gave them the 60 to 59 lead with 123 left in the ball game. I mean, the moments that set up that game were just, it was everything that we expected out of Allen Rockwall. If you saw that game last year, you knew what the potential was. This had the chance to be an epic shootout between two of the more high profile offenses in the in the state for that matter. And I mean, the, the power players in this matchup, man, they, they showed out. I mean, all the talk coming into this one was, okay, what the heck is the Allen secondary, which has been victimized by big play receivers, you know, throughout the season. How in the heck are they going to find an answer for Jackson Smith and Jigba? There wasn't one, as, as expected. He had four touchdown catches in the first quarter alone. I mean, he ends up with six total touchdowns. I want to say almost 270 yards uh, receiving and whatnot. Um, but then you had, like, Raylan Sharp, Allen's quarterback. You know, it gets... You know, kind of lost in the shuffle because of how big a how big a moment this was for Rockwall and the program and whatnot. Raylan Sharp had 459 passing yards. He had 112 rushing yards and six total touchdowns. It's 571 yards of total offense. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, but at the end of the day, I mean, it was you know it, it, it did feel a little similar to last year's game. At least going off of you know reading Tim Glaze's story and just you know kind of gauging some of the uh, the Twitter the Twitter play by play and whatnot. And that um, neither team really had an answer for the other. It was just words like. Last year, Allen got enough resistance on defense just to get that little cushion there late. I mean, Allen was playing from behind a lot. They had to overcome multiple two-score deficits. Um, so, I mean, fair play to them for being able to make this one what it was there in the end. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, with Rockwall, one of the reasons why, you know, there was a lot of, uh, there was a bit of a groundswell that, okay, Rockwall might be able to get this done is because of what we mentioned earlier. Like, Rodney Webb plays with that fearlessness that you need to compete mm -hmm. with a team like Allen. You just, you can't go into a game against them and approach it like you would a normal football team because Allen isn't a normal football team. That loss on Friday, that's their fourth loss since October of 2012. Yeah. They're 112-4 since then. So yes, you have to be willing to take those requisite chances that you wouldn't. And I mean, yeah, Rodney Webb has just the perfect kind of crazy for a for a game like that. That he, um, yeah, he let it fly, and it all came down to just them taking that chance with a two point conversion. And Allen had a chance there late to maybe get in field goal range. Raylan Sharp was stopped, I believe, a yard short of a first down in Rockwall mm -hmm. territory, um, that resulted in a turnover on downs. And there you have it. I mean, first time since 2011 that Allen hasn't made the state yeah. semifinals. Well, and, and certainly a great game and one that will be talked about just because it's two great teams the way it's the way oh, yeah. it turned out but Allen wasn't even the favorite to win the state championship I know you know, look at the division one bracket there were like five or six different teams that were talked about they're certainly in the conversation yeah for sure but, but you know Duncanville kind of went in as, as the favorite yeah. a lot of people are kind of you know a couple of those Houston schools they put your North Shores and your Katie and whatnot mm -hmm. but um you know, so Allen going out so early is a, is a little bit of a surprise, but not nearly as surprising as Longview going out. Yeah. Later. Whereas Allen was just one of the contenders. Longview was the unquestioned favorite. There was, the, listen, anybody who applied any modicum of common sense to Allen Rockwall made sure to apply the logic that, okay, this can be an upset. Okay, this is, sound the upset alarm. This is, it would not be a shock if Rockwall got this done. I didn't see anybody giving Jesuit a prayer no. against Longview. No, I mean, and that, that's the thing. And we, they've talked all year long about Longview. And it, it seems like a team of destiny primed to repeat. Mm -hmm. You know, they would just, they had just rolled through the regular season. We just talked about Rockwall. Longview beat 40, them 49-3. And granted, Rockwall's a bit shorthanded in that and game. And Jackson yeah. Smith and Jigba didn't play he, he got, well, yeah, he got the first quarter. The game, yeah, pretty quarter, much but, the entire time. But, it's, it's, but yeah, Rockwell has more than I mean he's yeah. the, he's the star, but they have a they have weapons all over the field, and to hold even without him to hold them to three points, and, and then I mean that Longview team was impressive, and they just 
Mm. It sounds like they just picked the worst possible time to have their worst mm. game of the season. Dude, and Haynes that's not King, to take, and that's not to take five of seventeen. That and, seems impossible. And no touchdowns. And and, How? Know, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Jesuit because mm. Jesuit obviously came in with a great a game plan. Um, you know, they had EJ Smith back. They pounded him. Um, they yeah, kept the game plan was 26 carries for four touchdowns for EJ Smith and 164 yeah. yards. Yeah. But they kept Longview's offense off the field, is what it sounds like. And yeah. then when Longview found itself in a, in a close game for the first time in a long time, it sounds like they pressed a little bit. Mm-hmm. They weren't. They, they hadn't been in one in so long. Um, really, since the non-district portion of the schedule. And, um, you know, credit to Jesuit. But as far as pure shock value, that was, to me, that was the result no. that jumped out above all else. And it's just, it shows you just the importance of E.J. Smith to that Jesuit bunch mm-hmm. because they, you know, he got dinged up later in, late in the season against McKinney. And it's just, it's night and day how much, how much pressure he takes off the rest of that off because they've got a lot of capable players on offense. Jake Taylor, um, you know, the receivers, you know, Wyatt Garrett, Christian Oloko and whatnot. And with EJ in, with EJ out, I mean, it looks like a completely different football team. I mean, they couldn't move the ball. They scored 21 points against McKinney. They almost lost to Plano East the following week. And this is without EJ. I mean, when you get him back, though, it just it just does open up so much more for those other guys. And you see what it's now led to. I mean, it led, it led to you know, maybe the biggest upset of the playoffs so far. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was there was that you had, um, and then over in, I mean, it just it was a weird one in nine six a in general. <laughs> I mean, you had uh, you know McKinney, which put up. A, listen, Kendrick's not here. Kendrick is on his way back from Vegas. I don't know if you guys know that, but Kendrick likes to go to Vegas. He's mentioned that a time or two. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, he uh, he did caution that uh, you know, watch out for McKinney against Waco Midway. You know that. McKinney might be able to give them a better showing than you would expect, yeah. given what Waco Midway's pedigree has suggested over the years. You know, you see the final score that Midway won this game 37 to 28, but it's a bit of a deceiving final score. This was a 31 to 27 ball game inside the final minute, and McKinney was driving for the go-ahead score. They were in Midway territory, and then they throw a pick six. Oof. And it was Midway's Reed Cromie who intercepted Sampson Nazarco and returned that 62 yards for the touchdown, hence your double-digit finale. But it was a much more competitive game than that uh, and again like an impressive you know an impressive display from McKinney all things considered I mean considering how close they were to getting bounced by Naaman Forrest in the first round yeah yeah and you got a huge game from OJ Reed one of their uh, their stable of running backs he had 160 rushing yards McKinney's a really young team they're going to be back next year who knows what will you know what realignment will do if they're what region they're in and whatnot but this was a team that uh this was a huge uh kind of a huge uh, statement year from that program just to uh, to get back in the playoffs despite losing all that talent from last season reloading around a crop of you know sophomores and juniors I mean there's it's they're they're just getting rolling under Marcus Shavers out in McKinney um and then you had the game that you were at Devin which we thought was going to be uh, I mean it's an absolute barn burner between Prosper and Mesquite. Not a whole lot on paper separating these two teams, but man, Prosper's just dialed it up a notch, it seems like. Prosper, uh, <clears throat> really efficient on offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, that's, you know, Brian can speak to this more than I can. This is my first chance to see Prosper. But, you know, in, in doing some research before the game, um, you know, Jackson Berry, their quarterback, completed 50, 50% or better of his passes in every game. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was on point on Friday. I mean, he's 12, 16, 250 yards. What did you think uh, of Taylor, uh, Tyler Bailey? The receiver, you know, he made a couple of really dynamic plays in the second half. Uh, they they weren't able to really get him involved early on, but mm-hmm. they didn't need to. He threw a couple of early pa- uh, touchdown passes to Hayden Metcalf, found uh, uh, Grant Peck, who just was. I mean, it was a thirty-seven yard touchdown play. I don't think there was anybody within twenty yards of him when he, oh, no. when he caught the ball. He just he just got lost in the yeah. lost in the secondary. Um, 
But no, Tyler Bailey made, made a couple really nice plays. Because he missed a couple games earlier this year, and they, the offense you know, kind of struggled. And when I saw them play against McKinney, he didn't play. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some kind of off-the-field issues and stuff. But he's when he's out there, man, he's a game-changer. Yeah, he didn't yeah. get a lot of touches, but you could you could tell. You know, there's some of those athletes you could just tell, you know, when they yeah. get the ball in their hands that they're a, a threat to do anything with it. So, you know, that was able – they were able to, to open a lead, and then uh, they go to JT Lane in, in the second half. And yeah, he just he's the workhorse. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he – finishes with uh, 19 carries for 131 yards, two touchdowns, both of which came in the fourth quarter um, when, when Mesquite's defense was a little gassed. Mm-hmm. But um, the other thing, and talking with Coach Schmidt after the game, uh, they were able to neutralize and limit uh, Mesquite's offense. Mm-hmm. And Mesquite had been a big play offense. I mean, yeah. they had coming into the game, they had 28 touchdowns of 20 yards or longer on the season. Now, a couple of those were defensive special teams. But, uh, you know, Dylan Hiller McGill, the quarterback, uh, Ladarius Turner, I mean, these guys had multiple long plays. And not only did they limit that, they left two plays, not just scoring plays, but plays of 20 yards or longer. And that was a really huge deal. I mean, you look at this, the bottom line in Mesquite, I think had 377 yards of total offense, which was, isn't a bad you know, output, mm-hmm. but Prosper was able to, you know, they, they had a six, just keep having a six and a half minute drive that came in with no points. They, they, tried, uh, they tried a field goal from the three yard line. The snap was bad. The kick literally hit the ground before it got to the line of scrimmage. Oh, no. uh, just because the, the snap was so bad and, yeah. and he tried, the kicker tried to rush it. But six and a half minutes, no points, and then had another seven minute drive in the second half uh, where they ended up turning the ball over on downs. So, and when when Biscuit was able to put together a sustained drive, Prosper was able to hold, you know, stand tall when it counted most. And, uh, you know, just really impressive all-around effort uh, to move on in a region that is suddenly a little bit more wide open. I know, yeah. Thoughts. If you're, uh, yeah, if you're a program like Prosper now, you got to be thinking, like, it, that was the talk all season. If you could just avoid, like, drawing a long view again, which, hey, who knows? Maybe it would have worked in their favor this time. But, um, yeah, now they're looking. They, I mean, they get the Woodlands the next round. The Woodlands is, you know, the at least record-wise, not what it normally is. Um, but there's a chance now that Prosper could eventually wind up in a, you know, potentially a regional final now. Yeah. Which would be such a, I mean, that was such a massive accomplishment for that program. And, and again, from from what I saw, um, you know, they were just they were just solid all around. Yeah. They didn't make a lot of mistakes. There wasn't a lot of penalties. They didn't turn the ball over. Um, you know, again, Jack and Barry is incredibly efficient. Um, that didn't try to force anything. Mm. Uh, you know, their, their ground game was solid. Um, you know, just a lot to like about this yeah. team. The defensive performance really kind of sticks out just because you look at the games where they've fallen short this season and against the dynamic offenses like Allen and Jesuit, it seemed like those have been the kind of their bugaboo this season is when you face a more high-caliber offense, yeah. you know, they can you can have success against Prosper, as dominant as they've looked, you know, in, in victory this season. But, um, yeah, because I know Mesquite's certainly got a lot of talent on that side of the ball, especially in the backfield. So to slow them down the way that they did is certainly a, a, a nice thing to see at this juncture of the season. Yeah. And then you look over in District, uh, District 66A, and you've got, you know, I mean, listen, what happened to Flower Mound is what's going to happen to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Most teams that run up against Duncanville at this point of the season, you know, 59 to 13 in favor of the, uh, the state runner up, the number one ranked team in the state, Duncanville Panthers. And then you had uh, Marcus, which is now for the first time since 1997. Three rounds deep in the playoffs after they took care of Lake Highlands 36 to 27. Um, this one was really um, all about that offense. 
you know, 494 yards from the Marauders, 407 from their quarterback, Garrett Nussmeyer, which just, again, like, it's been, like, that's been the big storyline for this Marcus team this season is, like, they have a passing game. And they've been such a dominant run team for so long, but they've got a Division One caliber quarterback in Nussmeyer, and that has really just added this special uh, special dimension to that offense. And, you know, I mean, Lake Highlands did what they could to kind of key in on, the, uh, on their running back, Tyson Edwards, uh, but that really seemed to open up the passing game for guys like Dallas Dudley, who had nine catches for 139 yards and, uh, and two touchdowns, as well as uh, J. Michael Sturdivant, who's the leading receiver. He had eight catches for 127 and a touchdown. Um, so, yeah, I mean, big things for the Marauders. They're three rounds deep for the first time since 1997, which was, fittingly enough, the year that they won state. <laughs> um, so they're going to win state this year. Yeah, I mean, that's how it works, right? Yeah, it's just yeah. destiny at this point. <laughs> Um, but now they, I mean, they get a uh, you know an Amarillo Tascosa team in the next round that actually knocked off Arlington Bowie, the second round of Bowie team that is responsible for the only loss that Marcus has had this season yeah. back in Week One and whatnot. Um, you know, and they uh, it'll be an interesting challenge for Marcus just in the sense that Tescosa is not like any other team on their schedule. They run a flex bone offense that was on full display against Bowie with uh, with quarterback Joseph Plunk not completing a pass on three attempts, but having 39 carries for 243 yards and three touchdowns. Down. So, um, yeah, definitely a, a different approach for uh, that coaching staff this week over at Marcus as they look to uh, potentially get to the state quarterfinals now and make a make a nice little run. Um, so, yeah, that's a look at kind of the, the second round happenings at the 6A level. Obviously, plenty of fun stuff at 5A, including a very juicy rematch that has come to fruition. We can discuss that and more, including some happenings at the private school level after a quick word from this sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Star Local Media, 14 newspapers and websites with a print distribution of 270,000 homes and monthly page views of 600,000 online. Star Local Media, your community voice for news. And now, let's get back to the podcast. And we are back. Let's keep on breaking down the second round of the high school football playoffs. Maybe a bit of a cursory glance towards some of the big happenings in the third round. Brian, what a playoffs, what a postseason this has been for Frisco ISD. Three teams still standing in the third round. Yeah, you got first time ever that's ever happened. Okay. I mean, I believe it, man. That's To have three schools from a single school district, three rounds deep, that is... You, things are things are clicking pretty well over in Frisco ISD right now. You have Lone Star fresh off a 45 to 30 victory over College Station. The same exact score that Independence beat uh, Texarkana Texas High at, despite having to travel all the way out to Texas. Big Texas. shout out to Kendrick Johnson who thinks traveling to East Texas is the <laughs> hardest thing you can do in in the, in the Texas high school football playoffs. Well, Independence, they were just fine, you know, playing out in Texarkana. And then you had Frisco, which pitched a shutout. Yeah, that was That's weird. How, you, how about how about that? Yeah. How about avenging the team that uh, that knocked you out? the playoffs last year with an 18-0 shutout. Was it last year South Oak Cliff scored 48 on them, 49, something like yeah. that, and then this year they don't score at all. I don't know. I wasn't there, but I, it looks like Frisco went back to their you know wing tee. They only completed two passes in this game and still got uh, 111 yards rushing from Bryson Clemens, who's been awesome um, this year, and it's always good seeing Frisco win because after the game, that Twitter account that says, is Frisco back? And it says, is Frisco back? Yes. And I actually met the young man who, who runs it. He's a student at Frisco. Okay. Really nice guy, and uh, and after every every win, you know, he goes up to either you know Kari Green or Bryson Clemens or Chase Lauer, one of the one of the big name players. He goes up to me, he's like, "Hey, is Frisco back?" <laughs> and they do this bit where they're like. Yeah, they just go crazy. It's pretty entertaining. That's a, that's so I, I, I want to see Frisco keep winning just yeah, so I can keep seeing that's that. A, that's a good party trick. I like that. <laughs> um, 
Listen, this is all about Lone Star yes. and Highland Park. This entire yes. podcast has been leading up to a chance to talk about this because, again, we're not going to have a Thursday podcast, and this is the only chance that we'll get to come to the air beforehand and discuss this matchup, which I feel like everybody saw the writing on the wall oh. that there was a chance this was going to happen after that big game yeah, we, in the non-district. Yeah, we knew this was going to happen back yeah. in September. You know? And it's here. I mean, both teams have held up their end of the bargain, and, I mean, Lone Star, which was, I mean, if you talk about just the, the weight of a, of a single regular season win. I'm not sure how many teams had a bigger one than that, being the first team since the 90s to take down Highland Park in Highlander Stadium. Can they do it in the playoffs, though? And not at Highlander Stadium, necessarily, but at basically Their like... second home. The, yeah, yeah, the home away from home for Highland Park at AT&T Stadium, where they've... I mean, Highland Park wins more games in that stadium each year than the Cowboys. Whoa, 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 Pump your brakes there, man. <laughs> Slow down, but it's true. It, it, is, it, true. it, it, it is true. true. It's a it sad truth. The Cowboys suck. Um, uh, coming from the Patriots <laughs> fan. Um, all right, so... Yeah, Brian, what is your read on this matchup? You said you've known this one was coming for a oh, yeah. while. So, I mean, you saw that first game. You saw, I mean, again, how much, do you, I mean, do you recall how much you feel like it carry over from that one? I mean, because it's, it's fair to think that both teams are probably a little bit different since then. And, you know, teams evolve over the course of a season. So, can Lone Star, for as impressive as that was back in September, can they do it again when it all counts? So, Chandler Morris, he was struggling at the beginning of the year. He was throwing a lot of interceptions, at least for his standards. And he threw four against Lone Star, you know, back in week three and he, he seems like he's turned it around. You know, he's decommitted from Arkansas with everything, all the drama that went down there with the, with the Morris family. Um, but anyways, he threw five touchdowns, didn't turn the ball over last week against Magnolia. The Lone Star defense doesn't look as powerful as they did, you know, the first five, six weeks of the season. They're giving up, you know, a lot of big plays. They gave up 500 yards to College Station, but they kept them out of the end zone for the most part. They forced a lot of field goals and it looks like they're, you know, they're still hanging tight there, but... You know, if Marvin Mims, who missed, you know, that first game of the playoffs, and he, he was back, over 200 yards, three touchdowns, just nothing new, you know, for Marvin Mims. He, obviously, he, he looks like he'll play again. Um, he should be good to go this week. If he wasn't playing, I would be very concerned, and I would have probably picked that, Cause Because that just changes everything. Yes, yeah, because, sure. you know, he's second best wide receiver possibly in the state behind Jackson Smith and Jigba um, for sure at the 5A level um, yeah so he's playing should be good to go I, and you think Lone Star would win this game but you, it's uh, Highland Park is no. Highland Park <laughs> no, no, no I mean I know, yeah. at, I don't know. at least I'd like to yeah. think that but you know Highland Park is the New England Patriots they, yeah. they turn it up in the playoffs and like you said they're playing at AT&T a, a place where they've won many many big games in recent history and I, and I do think there is a lot to be said about being having been on the stage before having that playoff experience and I mean Highland Park has that overwhelmingly I mean you know Lone Star's had I mean that was a huge game obviously earlier in the year Mm -hmm. but it was a regular season game this is the big stage and this is when those the pressure I mean you see it every year even guys that you've watched all season long you know, once they get on that stage, sometimes it, it just, they get off to a slow start. They throw a couple, you know, a couple of a picks. They, I mean, I, you know, they put it on the ground. They, you know, uncharacteristic mistakes. And in a game of this magnitude, that you expect to be very evenly matched, it's one or two of those little mistakes that could make a difference. Highland Park's been there before. They've won on the stage. Mm-hmm. Is Lone Star ready to to do it? Uh, you know, at, you know, at eighteen. What worries me is Garrett Ringel. You know, first time playing at AT&T mm-hmm. Stadium. He's only a sophomore quarterback. You know, he had a great game last week, over two over 300 yards, four touchdowns. But he went in that same sophomore and just his third ever varsity start. He went into Highlander, Highlander Stadium and, and beat them pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, he's he's had ice in his veins, you know, all season long. You wouldn't think he's a sophomore. Um, he's going to go play somewhere, you know, D1, high caliber, Power Five program when it's all said and done. 
uh, I think he'll handle the moment just fine. Yeah. You know, it, it also helps when you have Marvin Mims to just yeah. you know throw yeah. that thing up there. Jake Bogdan, senior running back, he he's he's been there before. This is a senior laden you know defense as well. They, they have a lot of guys that have been there and done that. You know, on that side of the football. I, I don't know. I, obviously, I'm picking Lone Star. I mean, there's no surprise, no shock mm-hmm. there. And I was there when they beat them in Holland Park. When they beat them, mm-hmm. really good. That score wouldn't even indicate how close, you know, how, how lopsided it really was. It was what 35-19. Holland Park scored two second half touchdowns when Lone Star was kind of, you know, pumping the brakes a little bit. I, do I think Lone Star is going to kill them again? No. But do I think they're going to win? Most likely. Frisco Independence, then. Yeah. So, what do we make of the uh, of the Knights and the role of their own? Because we talked about last week how all of a sudden that portion of the uh, of the Region Two bracket is like it's wide open now with Lufkin getting bounced, and now you have a chance for uh, for Independence to potentially get on a, a bit of a roll here. Yeah, they got to play Lancaster. Yeah, Man, we can get I, to them in a sec. I that was, don't feel that was pretty confident. impressive in its own right. But for the Knights to be this far, though, what can you say about what they've done? Oh, it's this point? super impressive, and it's it's awesome to see because this is their third time making the playoffs. This is their first time making it to the third round. And this is the first year, first time making the playoffs, but they haven't had to play Highland Park in those one, one in those one or two first games. Yeah. Um, and you know they went out to East Texas, did the unthinkable according to Kendrick, and <laughs> and got the job done there. They don't have to play Lufkin, but they have to play Lancaster. Yeah. Um, if their road doesn't end this week against Lancaster, if they pull off the upset over the Tigers, then they'd have to face either Lone Star or Highland Park in the next round. Um, as exciting as that may be for Independence fans, they got trounced by Lone Star in, in the regular season, uh, and I think they'd get trounced by both of those teams. No offense, Coach Story, y'all having a great year. I know a lot of the guys in that coaching staff, I've known, uh, known them back from high school days, and they're, they're, they're having a great year. Mm-hmm. So big shout out to the Knights, but they have their hands full with Lancaster, a Lancaster team who I'm sure we're about to talk to, and you want to talk talk about who you've seen play two very explosive offenses to start the postseason in the Colony and, and, and McKinney North, and they made them look pretty average. Yeah, that's kind of been the big story of this postseason, is getting to see Lancaster's defense unleashed against some of the most explosive offenses in the entire Metroplex. I was I was there on the sidelines for when they, they for all intents and purposes, kind of shut down the colony. Yeah, 29 of, points, It's that's shutting them down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, but you look at, like, like Miles Price holding 100 yards of total offense. You don't Keith see Miller that. held two catches for two yards. You don't I mean, see just, that. Yeah, yeah, it's Mikey Harrington throwing, like, two, three picks or whatnot. I mean, they their speed and just how sound and disciplined they are on that side of the ball is so impressive, and now they they did the same exact thing against the McKinney North offense that nobody had figured out an answer for. And what did JJ Henry do? You told me a crazy stat. JJ Henry had four catches for. I'm just going off the box where he had one. He had four catches for one yard. You don't see that. This is the second. Yeah. This is the second leading receiver in the area behind Marvin Mims at the 5A level. Um, yeah, I mean, this was we we kind of wondered what was going to happen with McKinney North, with as prolific as that offense had been. But what happens when they run up against a legitimate top tier defense that also just happens to have a bit of firepower on the offensive side of the ball? Because as much as praise as we want to heap on Lancaster's uh, defense, I mean, their offense was right there statistically with the Colony and Independence and you know Lone Star and all those you know just the juggernaut offenses in the uh, in the area at the five A level. They hung six hundred and one yards on North, and you look at just the efficiency that it took to get there. I mean, Glenn Rice Jr., the quarterback. 12 of 15 passing for 239 and five touchdowns. Out of the backfield, Trey Bradford, who went nuts against uh, against the Colony, he had 15 carries for 171 yards. That's 11 and a half yards per carry, essentially. DQ James had six carries for 124 yards and two touchdowns. That's over 20 yards a carry. Um, and then through the air, Latrell Caples had seven catches for 178 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, they just kind of did as they pleased. And North, I mean, for the first time all year, they just couldn't keep pace. I mean, you look at 
I mean, 354 yards of offense is way, you know, under yeah. par for them. That's half of what they're used to. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Markowitz completes two-thirds of his passes, which is fine for, you know, just a, a standard quarterback performance, but this is an offense that completes like three-quarters of its passes through the air. You know, he had two passing touchdowns, was lured into three picks. I mean, that was one thing against Mike against the Colony that I noticed is that their speed up front forced Mikey Harrington to make a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes. And, I mean, yeah, it sounds like that um, it was just a, a tough night for Norse to have its, you know, its, you know, its worst offensive showing of the year straight up this is a team that had you know they've scored you know in the 60s on the on the regular and you wonder how much of a chip on the shoulder that Lancaster is playing with because whenever anybody talks about this region so okay who's going to be Lone Star or Highland Park which one of these two teams yeah. is going to come out Lancaster's just sitting there like they're, they're state ranked too they're, they're yeah kind of, they're kind of, hey remember we're here that yeah. we, uh, we took Highland Park to overtime we, yep. we have they our did. own skins on the wall and uh, we're not going anywhere and remember I told you a few weeks ago I had a coach in 5-5-A Division One, say, after they played Lone Star, he said, the only team I could see maybe beating Lone Star is Lancaster. Mm-hmm. He didn't say Highland Park. And other teams weren't brought up. He's specifically, uh, the team I was told was Lancaster to watch out for to possibly, you know, knock off Lone Star from winning a state title. That defense is terrifying, man. I mean, Brandon Frazier got his with McKinney North. He had six catches for 126 yards. I mean, that's Brandon Frazier, though, man. He's going to do that against just about everybody. But overall, though, yeah, just uh, a rough, a rough end to a, to a, a so, I mean, it's still a solid year for McKinney yeah. North. You win your outright, you know, the first oh, yeah. outright district title in program history. You know, you get a couple rounds deep in the playoffs. It's just Lancaster is just, they're rolling pretty, pretty well right now and that's what ha- independence has to figure out a way to solve it because this is now the third straight round where they get to shut down a uh, you know a high profile yeah. explosive offense it's certainly haven't been uh, eased into things as far as their defense goes but they've met the challenge these first two rounds and independence has its handful for sure man um, and let's see where else do we go we have uh, ooh, some stuff at the 4a level we'll talk some 4a um, Argyle this is the game that I was at on Thursday. An unexpected surprise out of the, as far as just from an entertainment standpoint, oh, yeah. out of out in Mansfield is Argyle. Number one ranked Argyle got all they could handle from Stephenville. This was a 42 to 42 game in the second half after Stephenville got a, a blocked punt that they returned for a, for a score. Um, Argyle ends up winning this game though, 63 to 49. Um, the story of this one was, I mean, just some absolute magic from Bo Hogaboom, their quarterback, and then Cole Kirkpatrick, their stud wide receiver. Eight touchdown passes for Hogaboom, five of them to Kirkpatrick. I mean, whenever they needed a a big play, that connection came through. Man, they were uh, it was a special, special kind of connection they had working on uh, on Thursday against a Stephenville bunch that uh. You know, these two teams played earlier in the regular season. This was the week one matchup. Argyle blew them out 42-14. to 14. Um, You know, fair play to Stephenville for uh, making the requisite plays with their, uh, you know, their dynamic quarterback. I forget his name. I don't have the box score in front of me. But, um, but man, they did, I mean, they gave Argyle all they could handle. I mean, Argyle's, you know, the big thing kind of them now going forward is they're a little, they're a little banged up right now at running back. You know, Tito Bryce had already, you know, he's already out for the season with an ACL injury. But their, uh, their number two running back, Luke Ferris, he got dinged up in the first, uh, in the first half of this game. They end up having to ride their uh, their number three back Knox Scoggins, incredible football name. He has uh, over thirty carries. He gets some big uh, some big runs there in the second half to real, uh, kind of bleed the clock in their favor. Um, but really, yeah, I mean with Hogaboom and Kirkpatrick, I mean it was just it was impressive watching that passing offense. Man, there's um, I mean no no secondary has really had an answer for that this season. And um, yeah, I mean it, it felt like the best that uh, you know the best that those uh, those two could conceivably play in a single game. But talking to head coach Todd Rogers, this is just this is just another week for that offense. They just they're they're so good. But um, you know they've obviously got to you know tighten things up there on the backfield with as shorthanded as they are. I don't know what the to what extent Ferris is out if he's going to miss any time or whatnot going forward. But then the defense also 
also, you know, kind of uh, sprung a few leaks there as well and allowing Stephenville to really make a game of this one. They had a really tough time, you know, containing that uh, their dual threat quarterback and whatnot. And granted, some of the some of the touchdowns that they got were, um, I mean, just. There was a, there was one touchdown that uh, you know they had uh, tied at forty nine where it was like you know it's like third and twenty or something like that and the quarterback is just scrambling around forever and just heaves a prayer into the end zone that like splits a pair of Argyle defenders and is caught by a Stephenville kid. It was um, you know they did what they could to hang tough, but ultimately yeah the uh, the Hogaboom Kirkpatrick connection was just a bit too much. Um, they get a I mean they're not going to get any let up in the third round either because Brownwood is a team that can also pose some similar uh, some similar threats as uh, as Steve Stephenville did, and Brownwood coming off a, a weird game against uh, Alvarado, where they won 37 to 35 despite blowing a 27 to zero lead. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, that's what uh, is in store for Argyle. Um, Brian, you saw Salina, you know, have their season come to an end against uh, Waco La Vega. I mean, that's kind of now uh, all of a sudden now in that region, you know, all eyeballs are on a potential uh, Argyle La Vega rematch at some juncture, um, and we're one step closer to that happening with both of them getting the job done last week. I wouldn't sleep on Melissa. Yeah, Melissa. No, nor should you, man. No, I got a lot of firepower. La Vega was able to. Man, they're just so big yeah. on, on the offensive and defensive lines. Uh, you know, they they have some a couple stud running backs. They they didn't really throw the ball a whole lot, and that was expected. You know, Coach Elliott told me, you know, they're not really a, a deep threat team. They're gonna do dink and dunk and, and run the ball a lot. And I mean, look, La Vega had three different touchdowns of at least thirty yards or more on the ground. You know, they had a couple sixty yarders. You t you take those out, you know, it's a it's a tighter game. I'm not saying La Vega. I kind of am. I wasn't that impressed with La Vega. I, I, like I don't. Are they, do I think they're the best team in 4A? No. I think Argyle's better than them. I think Melissa will give them a game. I think Melissa has what it takes. Brendan Lewis is a one heck of a quarterback. Absolutely. And I, I think with, with a guy that can you know, change a game in so many different ways with his arm and his feet and stuff like that, and they have, you know, Zylon Posey and Jabray Young, and, you know, they have a, a stout defense. Melissa, I think, I would not be surprised if Melissa won this game against La Vega. Um, but, yeah, Salina just didn't have enough. And, they, like I said, they didn't have the answer for the, the big runs. Um, and in the second half, they just they just couldn't consistently move the chains uh, when they need to. La Vega, like I said, they're really big. Their offensive line, they have three guys over 300 pounds. Um, but, I don't know. I, I think Argyle, if they do get to Argyle, if they beat Melissa, I think Argyle will get the best of them this year. And then, then uh, Devin, you got Sunnyvale. Sunnyvale still kicking around in the in the four A Division two bracket. Um, I mean, they had a spectacular regular season. They ended the postseason state ranked, and they've played to that paper so far. They get a twenty eight to seventeen victory over Mejia in the second round. And now they got to tackle Mighty Pleasant Grove. So, um, what can you say about the Raiders and the job that they've done so far? Yeah, you know they uh, they cruised through the district season as was to be expected. Really cruised the entire regular season. Um, no, now they get number one. Uh, you know, Monroe has been ranked number one. They have one loss to Carthage, another East Texas power that was very early in the season. But um, you know, it's, it's been more difficult for Sunnyvale um, in the playoffs as well. You expect it to be, but you know, coming out of that, you know, that six four A Division two, they have Pittsburgh. They got knocked out in the first round last year. They're able to take care of Pittsburgh and kind of a defensive slog fit. I mean, it was, yeah. was like a. You know, 25-13, and then and they hold off Mahave. Lower scoring games than Sunnyvale's um, accustomed to. They do still have so many dynamic guys on offense. Um, you know, Tripp McKay, their quarterback. They're averaging 20.2 yards per completion. They're averaging, no, you know, nearly nine yards per carry on the ground. You know, just all the way around. I mean, Obi Arunze, Alex uh, Luna, 
you know, Devin Sterling, Noah McDill on the outside, Max Makeda. They got so many different guys on offense uh, that they could break a big play at any time. Haven't really done it, mm-hmm. you know, in the playoffs just because you're facing a lot tougher defenses. And, you know, the Sunnyvale defense has really done a good job this year. They, they allowed the 41 to Brownsboro early on, but that was a game they were way ahead, and they didn't really need to do much. Just kind of a lot of that scoring came in garbage time. Outside of that, they haven't allowed more than 21 in any game. Texarkana uh, Pleasant Grove is kind of the same way. Mm-hmm. In terms of their defense, so even though both sides has playmakers, uh, you know, on offense, I think this could be another low-scoring game, kind of like Sunnyville's been involved in, um, you know, the last two years. And you know, everybody says, ah, oh, they're number one Pleasant Grove. Well, Sunnyville's been state ranked all year, t- you know, themselves. Uh, this is their second time to ever make it to the third round, and so. You know, they're certainly not going to be lacking for confidence. They're their team that believes they can play with anybody in this state, and they'll have a chance to, to do it on Friday. We can uh, we can close this out then with a look at some of the happenings in the private school ranks. So when we uh, when we let off the podcast, what was the most shocking thing that happened in the second round? And you know, I listen. Allen losing the Rock Wall, like it's going to be a massive story whenever Allen loses any game. Period, because of what that program represents. Um, you know, but. John Paul II, 49, Fort Worth Nolan, 15, was one that I had to double and triple and quadruple take because, I mean, wow. I mean, John Paul, which began its postseason just trying to get its first ever playoff win, is now all of a sudden two wins from a state championship. And they just knocked off an undefeated Nolan team that was ranked in the area number one, had just been mowing down folks. And wouldn't you know, man, but the Colonels kind of had their way with the Vikings. Just stunning, stunning result. And um, I mean, because this was a competitive game early on, and it was 20 to 15, but then, you know, John Paul scores 29 unanswered points to, to close this one out for, again, a, a pretty convincing performance. And I mean, you look through the, uh, you know, through the numbers in this one, I mean, they outgain him 479 to 288. I mean, Nolan's star running back, Mecca Megwa, one of the best running backs in the entire state. He has 53 yards rushing. I mean, John Paul, I mean, listen, there, I've been, you know, I think back to the start of the year, and there was definitely reason to believe this was going to be a, a bit of a, an uptick in performance from John Paul this year. They had really shown that uh, they might have the horses to at last compete with some of these other juggernaut private schools in the area. But now to see it coming through in the way that it is for this team, it was um, a lot of these guys are back from last year, and they're uh, they're finally, I guess, learning how to win these uh, these big games that they really might have uh, fallen short, you know, last season. But you look at what a guy like Grayson James did against, again, this stifling Nolan defense. He has 402 passing yards and five touchdowns. Jaron Bradley, who's one of the best receivers in the in the state for my money. This, this kid's a monster. He had seven catches for 171 yards and two touchdowns. Miles Parker, another junior for them. He had four catches for 121 and three touchdowns. Um, but then again, just defensively to hold that Nolan attack in check. They've got a, you know, John Paul is a linebacker, Kyle Taylor, who's, I mean, his tackled for loss numbers, his sack numbers are just insanity. Might be the uh, on the short list of the most impressive defensive players on all of Taps this season. And um, yeah, I mean, it's such a it's a really really impressive job that that program has done in such a short period of time and raising this program up to the level of the you know the the same schools that have been you know they've been kind of on the uh, at the mercy of for so many years the Preston Woods and the Bishop Lynches and the Bishop Duns and they've now got the requisite talent to compete with those programs and they're in the state semifinals yeah. first time ever. It was, like I said, the margin is what was, it's, you know, taps, is, you know, straight to wacky results yeah. and, you know, upsets and whatnot, with the exception of Christian Cedar Hill lately. But, um, 
But yeah, I mean, it was tomorrow. It was you know, obviously this is a John Paul team that has shown improvement over the course of the season. For sure. they, they weren't getting run off the field. They oh were, no, they were hanging with even in their losses. They were close. But yeah, like you said, that the margin. If, it, if we were to come in talking about a twenty-seven twenty-four, wow, what a great game! This that margin mm-hmm. we're going. Wow, just how good is this team? And it, um, it just kind of set, it laid the groundwork for a chance where you could potentially get John Paul in Prestonwood, which are the two Plano area private schools. I cover both of them, and it would have been, uh, you know, just because of again, when you're close to a mat, to a situation like that, it just kind of resonates a bit more. Like I was really fired up for the possibility of getting those two in the playoffs. Ever having watched the, uh, you know, the memorable playoff matches they've had on the basketball court and whatnot, but. Uh, Man, Prestonwood took some heartbreak on Saturday, and for the second straight year, man, Prestonwood's season ends in a bit of a, a really, really debilitating manner. Um, they lose to San Antonio Antonio. This was a game on Saturday out in Coppers Cove. They lose 26-24 in a game that they led in the second half, 24-13. Um, Antonio makes a, a late push there, and this all comes down to, if you haven't seen the video on Twitter, go like go search for Antonian Prestonwood and whatnot, and you'll see a, uh, a Hail Mary that is certainly unlike your typical Hail Mary. Um, so Antonian works their way down into Prestonwood territory. Their quarterback scrambled for 25 yards, I want to say, to get down to the Prestonwood 22. Now there was some uh, a bit of controversy on Twitter as to whether or not this play should have even happened because as he gets tackled, you can see video of like you know the game clock strikes zeros. Prestonwood goes on the field and starts celebrating. Well, um, I guess per um, you know the uh, the referees deemed that you know when when the quarterback got tackled after picking up a first down there was still you know there still should have been a second left on the clock so they put a second back on there which again lots of Prestonwood fans are, are upset that about that second being put on there and whatnot and questioning whether or not it yeah I guess the, the by the by the, the bylaws and whatnot if that should have even happened but it happened Prestonwood called a timeout and so Antonian comes back out there they attempt a hail mary quarterback Khalil Warfield goes back just heaves it up there into the end zone and if you've seen the video you see. I counted five Prestonwood players and two Antonian players converge on the ball. Just they uh, they all jump up for it. The ball bounces off what appears to be multiple Prestonwood players right into the hands of Brian Armstrong of Antonian, who's just kind of standing off to the side of the of the fracas, and he catches the touchdown, and that's how Prestonwood season ends. And the homer call of the week. I mean, it is, yeah. that's it the thing. Be. Like you, you just. There's a, like what could Preston would have done in that circumstance? I mean, again, like you had five kids around that ball. There was the, you know, they put themselves in the perfect position to just bat that thing down, just to deflect it away or whatnot. And it just happens to like I said, Brian Armstrong is not even in the, he's not even in that scramble. He's just kind of standing off, watching everyone else go for the ball, and the ball just bounces right to him. Um, what a yeah, what a. Uh, what a finish for Antonian as they're now headed to the state semifinals. And yes, we get John Paul and Antonian in the sta- in the tap state semifinals, just like everyone predicted. And that's going to be Saturday out in Georgetown. I'll be in the house for that one. Um, yeah, that was a uh, yeah. And between that, Prestonwood had its season the year prior end on a uh, on a game winning field goal for our guy Liberty Christian. Um, so yeah, some uh, some heartbreak for a program that's uh, you know certainly used to making some pretty prolific runs in the postseason. Uh, now like. And, and yeah, like the realization sets in now for me. Like I, you know, my primary coverage area is Allen and Plano. So you know, I I think of the uh, of the high school football teams that I cover. I cover Allen, which has been like the most accomplished football program in the in the state this decade. I cover Plano ISD, which has the second, third, and fourth largest high schools in the state. I cover Prestonwood, which has been one of the most successful private school programs of the decade. And the last team standing in my coverage area is John freaking Paul. <laughs> what a world, man. 
Um, let's see. So, did you have any notes on Dallas Christian? I saw that they took a they took a loss in uh, you know yeah, in their second round matchup. Really tough loss too. I mean, they've been pointing to that rematch with Trinity Christian yeah. Peter Hill, uh, who they lost to during district play, and that was you know up next. And you know they took they took the lead about four minutes left um, to go up seventeen fourteen. Um, Great Pine Faith Christian comes down, scores with about, I guess about fifty five seconds left. Mm. Dallas Christian still has one last chance. And uh, throws pick six, mm-hmm. and that's so. You know, people look at the, the margin twenty eight seventeen. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that was no. This is a game Dallas Christian led until the final minute of the game. Yeah. So, you know, kind of a not quite the hail mary heartbreaking, uh, you know, deal. But uh, you know, still, still a tough loss for a Dallas Christian team. You know, perennial playoff team. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, won multiple state titles, but none since two thousand eight. They really kind of felt maybe mm-hmm. they, they had the. They've seen TC Cedar Hill now. This has been their fourth meeting. You know, in the last couple, of, you know, three years, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, everybody wants to take their shot at the champs, and then Dallas Christian was a minute away, but mm-hmm. it wasn't meant to be. So, turn toward next year when there is no TC Cedar Hill. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, all right, so that'll uh, that'll conclude this episode of the podcast. Before we get out of here, I'm fascinated to go back and listen to the audio of this podcast <laughs> because I, uh, you know, I, it, I, who knows? It might. I'm sure it sounds like to y'all that we're recording this thing on a construction site. We are. Yeah. So yeah, for those who give again, if I don't know how well the noise behind us is coming through, um, we've had to fight through a, a lot in the, <laughs> over the last uh, 45 minutes or so. So we're in the process of uh, we're moving offices and whatnot. So uh, there's uh, there's a crew in here that is stripping down cubicles and shuffling around file cabinets and all sorts of just chaos going on behind us during this uh, this podcast. So hopefully, uh, you know, it didn't, uh, you know, make this audio, like, borderline unlistenable and whatnot. Yeah, but I'm sure in about 30 seconds we'll go on lunch. So oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, odds are is that uh, next week we'll be uh, in, a, in a new spot recording a new podcast and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Otherwise, that'll yeah, yeah, that'll do it for this episode. If you start with the Media High School Sports Podcast, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. You enjoy your, uh, your holiday and whatnot, and we will talk to you all later. Looking to hire top talent in your community? Look no further than StarLocalJobs.com. Our platform is specifically designed to connect local employers with qualified candidates in their area. With StarLocalJobs.com, you can easily post job listings tailored to your specific needs and requirements. Our platform is user-friendly and offers a wide range of options to help you find the perfect candidate for your open position. Plus, our job matching algorithm ensures that your listing is shown to the most relevant job seekers in your area. But that's not all, StarLocalJobs.com also offers a variety of resources to help you throughout the hiring process. From candidate screening to interview tips, our team of experts is dedicated to helping you find the right fit for your company. So why wait? Join the thousands of satisfied employers who have found their ideal candidate through StarLocalJobs.com. Post your job listing today and start building your dream team.